Chapter fourteen of Oscar Wilde The Story of an Unhappy Friendship by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was indeed a Valpurgis night's crowd that flitted in and out and around of that dull Chelsea road in the days of which I am writing. Strange faces pried at corners, and after nightfall phantom forms drifted past with the river mists. Lombroso would have exulted after a week in that London spring, and not Lombroso only, but all who are curious as to what is abnormal and weird and asymmetrical in mankind. There was one face which often rises up before me, a face full of the intentness of the fixed idea, the face of a man who was always hurrying from place to place with a spirit lamp and matches in his pocket, with no other thought or preoccupation in life than to rout out letters and to burn and burn. He was the unhumorous Wemmick of a tragic situation, a man whom the horror of the time had scared into a monomania of destroying documents by fire. There was another face which was always rippling with such laughter as one hears in Bedlam. There were long, gaunt, Calvinistic faces with a strange glint in the eyes and uneasy movements of the lips. There were anxious, busy faces with greedy eyes peering for spoil. The faces of the wreckers who hoped in the eddy where the great ship had sunk to harpoon and draw to themselves some valuable flotsam one an unpublished manuscript the other a scenario another a marketable idea and a baser plunderers yet one would have in the event no use for a fur coat and any jewellery would be a pleasing souvenir i do not say that these people frequented the house in oakley street indeed my friend's isolation was almost complete but these were they who dodged in and out of the gloom which had settled down upon us i have often thought that this period was in his mind when he wrote those lines in his ballad of reading jail in which he describes the night that preceded the trooper's execution very few of his former friends came to see him possibly to many it was not known that he had remained in london or where he was to be found i can only remember one call during that period there may have been others but i remember this one only the caller was a well-known literateur and journalist, a man in an excellent position, who then and afterwards warmly befriended Oscar Wilde, for whom he had a deep admiration. It was he who, after his release from prison, offered to take him for a coaching tour through France, an offer which was unfortunately refused. He came into the room in a bright, brisk way and said, "'I have come to take you out, Oscar. You mustn't mope here all day.' "'Where do you think of taking him to?' asked Willie to the cafe royal if he'll come i cried out that's fine of you blank but oscar wilde shook his head it wouldn't be seemly he said for me to defy public opinion i do not think that the courage was lacking him to protest by an appearance in a public place against the unfair prejudice which condemned him untried and unconvicted it seemed rather to him a question of taste and delicacy but I know that I felt a great admiration for his friend who had offered to affront this prejudice, so as to show London that he did not share it. I brought one visitor myself to Oakley Street, whom Oscar Wilde was very pleased to see. This was poor Ernest Dowson, the poet, who died under tragic conditions in 1900, in a poor cottage to which I had brought him, ragged, starving and abandoned. He spent an hour or two at Oakley Street, and managed to comfort our friend by his mere presence. 
dowson was a scholar and a master of english prose and as such was greatly admired by oscar wilde i had thought that letters of abuse would be showered upon him but most of his would-be correspondents no doubt ignored his address and he was saved this annoyance at least not that any letter of abuse would have affected him much for he seemed indifferent to all things i remember an incident which occurred on the night which preceded the first day of his trial had i been in his position it would have gladdened me we were sitting in the front room of the house in oakley street when we heard a cab drive up and there came a knock at the door i went out to answer it and having opened the door saw the tall figure of a lady whose face was veiled she thrust a packet into my hand and said for mr oscar wilde and hurried down the steps it was a horseshoe with a bouquet of violets attached and on a piece of paper were the words for luck he said nothing but laid the guerdon aside with a gesture of complete indifference nor was he in the least amused by a long letter which he received from madrid and which he asked me to translate to him i think under other circumstances it would have made him smile it was from the spanish prisoner with whose missives most of us whose names figure in the papers are familiar but in this instance the appeal for funds was based not on the imaginary treasure but on the community of misfortune if i remember rightly the knave endeavoured to establish some degree of blood relationship between himself and wilde i did not finish the letter for after listening to the first few passages he waved it aside it was pitiful to me to watch his moral agony i sat with him sometimes for more than an hour without speaking now and then the oppression on his breast would relieve itself in a sigh i could imagine the workings of that fine brain and the horrors that his fancy evoked hope conflicting with doubt the awful prospect before him the wild regret of his folly were like so many demons that unceasingly harried him he suffered all the tortures of brain fever without its merciful coma for the rest he was in high fever all the time as was shown by his devouring thirst he consumed gallons of liquid daily and i was running out time and time again to fetch lemonade and soda water and claret from the grocery at the end of the street in connection with which errands i may record as a psychological fact that i had great delight in doing menial work for my poor friend who had been so humbled when we did speak it was as usual on matters of literature but with what deep distress i observed that he spoke as a man to whom all these things in which he had once rejoiced were dead i thought of a passage in dostoevsky one evening he was bright he had a volume of wordsworth and had been reading some of the sonnets with me we came upon one in which my illustrious ancestor as oscar wilde used to call him had rhymed shove to love and robert robert he said in a tone of mock reproach what does this mean and he laughed in his old joyous boyish way but a few minutes later he relapsed into the awful silence that was so eloquent to me the silence which now and again was broken by a heavy sigh yet my admiration for the nobility of character which he displayed helped me to bear the tragedy long drawn out of those cruel days not one word of recrimination ever passed his lips he attached blame to no one he sought to involve no one he had no thought of vengeance or even of resentment against those who had encompassed his so formidable ruin he bent his broad shoulders 
and essayed with his sole strength to bear the crushing burden of infamy and fate he never showed himself to me more fine than in the days when the whole world was shouting out that he was of men the vilest he was prepared for his punishment although hope lingered to the last but he flattered himself that under the various circumstances of the case some leniency would be shown him i think he said that i could live through one year's imprisonment i told him that it was folly to count on leniency in the state of public opinion and added that if he decided to face his second trial he must make up his mind to undergo two years hard labour he said i couldn't do it not two years not two years i made it as clear as i could to him that there would and could be no other issue to his second trial and i fancied that i convinced him but not once i feel sure did he seriously think of flight his courage here must be remembered by those who judge him End of chapter 14